Okay, we are going to be jumping into Acts chapter 10 this morning. So what do you think about Acts? Are you enjoying this study that we're doing? Are you learning anything new? Maybe a few things, right? Uh, and this is one of the things I, I love about the Word of God, and that is no matter how many times you go through it, no matter how, how many times you study it, there's always more to know, and there's always more to understand. And, you know, my hope and my prayer is these, these, these sermons that we're going through uh, are going to help all of us to come to a better understanding of the historicity of the early church and... And, and at the same time, what it all means for me. In other words, how is it, what does it say to me? What is it, is it speaking to me in regard to my response to the world that I'm living in today and the church that I'm a part of? R.C. Sproul, whom I had the great privilege of studying under when I was in seminary, actually had some personal and private conversations with Sproul over the years. A uh, very brilliant theologian, but uh, what he was noted for was not being, only being a brilliant theologian, but being a theologian who could actually bring it down to the level of the people in the pews where people could understand even some of the more difficult doctrines of, uh, of God and, and, and etc. What he writes in his commentary about Acts chapter 10, which is where we're going this morning, what he says is this. It is one of the most important chapters in Acts, if not the most important chapter. Actually, it is one of the most important chapters in the whole New Testament. Well, we've seen so far in the book of Acts. is the apostles are beginning to carry out that great commission that Jesus had given to them. Ministering initially and principally in Jerusalem, but in a short time they will disperse and they will go all over the place, as we've talked about. Attempting, as Christ had instructed them, to carry the gospel to the whole world. But one of the things that's important about Acts chapter 10 is this, is the vast majority of people that have been converted at this point, even through the ministry of Jesus. There are a few exceptions to it, but the vast majority of those people were Jews. But what we see in Acts chapter 10 is the door swinging open that Gentiles now would be welcomed into the fold of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what your heritage is, but I doubt if there's a whole lot of Jewish blood in this room this morning. There may be some. If you have some and I don't know about it, forgive me. But most of the people in this room are Gentiles. This means we're non-Jews. Nothing wrong with it. But what I'm telling you is this, is Acts chapter 10 is critical to your salvation. Just as it is mine. 
Because this is the point where you see the gospel going out not only to the Jewish people, but now even more specifically and more particularly to the Gentiles. Which is where we would find ourselves. Let me read. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming and, uh, and say to him, Cornelius, and he s stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants uh, and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. And while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold the men... Uh, who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry from Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by an angel of God, uh, a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found them, uh, many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. 
And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who was called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius is possibly a Latin name. There's some argument you could give that it is basically originally a Greek name or maybe even argue from uh, that it could possibly be a Hebrew name. But one of the things we need to understand is this man was a Gentile. He was a Roman centurion of the Italian cohort. He was a man of pride. He was not only a Roman soldier, he was a man, an officer of prominence in the Roman army. But he was a man who worshipped and feared the Lord our God, not fully understanding all that he is, which none of us ever does actually, but knowing enough to be a God-fearer and one who worshipped the true God. A generous man who was devoted to prayer. We know this, that, uh, that for much of the whole Old Testament, and even into the beginning of the New Testament, that Abraham's descendants were granted a more central relationship with God. That doesn't mean that there had not been Gentiles all along that had been called in the fold, because there are some examples, even from the Old Testament, of, of Gentile people becoming believers. But it is here that the door, in essence, to heaven through Christ Jesus is flung wide open to the Gentile world. And we understand this, that, uh, you know, at this point in history where you and I live, who do you think you're going to find the most conversions taking place in today, the Jewish community around the world or the Gentile communities around the world. Certainly the Gentiles. And there are Jewish converts converting to Christianity all the time. But, but, but ultimately, when you look at the overall numbers through the world, that would be a very, very small percentage of people who are coming to faith in Christ. So here we have with Cornelius the throwing open of the door to welcome Gentiles into the fold. Peter, the day before Cornelius comes, he 
he's still staying with Simon the, the, uh, the Tanner uh, right there on the, the Mediterranean Sea in Joppa. And he goes up onto the housetop. Now, I don't know how many of you people have visited uh, the Middle East, but, uh, but one of the things that's just, I saw this in Greece. They're very often, you know, they don't have conventional roofs. They have a terrace on top of the house. And very often it is where they go to, to take their meals and that sort of thing. And Peter has gone up onto the roof of the house. I mean, Cornelius, I'm sorry. No, Peter, I'm sorry. But all of that is a result of another vision, a vision that God gives to Cornelius. He sends forth his angel to speak his message to him, and then he directs him to send people to Joppa to bring Peter to Caesarea, which is about 60 miles The next day, as the men who went to bring Peter, and Peter are approaching Joppa, or the next day, when those men are approaching Joppa where Peter is, Peter has gone up on the rooftop. And when he gets there, he falls into a trance and has a vision. In that vision, the heavens are opened and something like a great sheet descends down from heaven. And in it were all kinds of creatures and reptiles and birds. And Peter hears a voice saying, Arise, Peter, kill and eats. For roughly 1,500 years at this point, Israel has strictly followed the dietary rules God gave them shortly after the exodus from Egypt, where God had declared certain animals unclean, unfit to eat. And we understand that it was one of the means that God used to set Israel apart from everyone else. It is quite likely that Peter in his whole lifetime had never eaten anything that would have been considered ceremonially unclean. And remember that Jesus kept absolutely every aspect of that same law perfectly in all ways. But people, Peter, Jesus had also said some things that have bearing on our understanding of what is going on here. 
he said this, he said, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. In other words, food makes no difference. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. What is going on now is the Holy Spirit is taking the teaching of Jesus and applying it to people. One of the distinctions between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant was that the Old Covenant was very restrictive when it came to all manners of things. Not so with the new. God used those dietary laws for a lot of reasons or a lot of functions, but one of those was to distinguish his chosen race from the rest of the Gentile world. To set them apart. Now, something that they took seriously, if you think about it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... They were thrown into the fiery furnace because they refused to eat food that was not according to their dietary laws. Now we understand this because the New Testament elaborates on this and that is that Peter's vision really doesn't have anything much to do with food or animals but it was about people. That in essence, at this point, God has repealed those dietary laws to show that people, both Jews and Gentiles, were being gathered together and made clean by their association and dedicated or dedication to Jesus Christ. The melding of two who were separated now into one. Gathered into one body. Peter sees this vision three times. Now, if you know much about Scripture, you'll see that this happens on occasion. The things happen sometimes three times. And the purpose of it is to emphasize importance. In other words, what God is doing with Peter here when he, he gives him this vision three times is he's telling Peter, this, I'm giving you this and this is really, 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 really important stuff. So don't take it lightly. Don't take it casually. Don't let it just go in one ear and out the other ear. I, my intention for you is to take this and act upon it. And what you're going to see is that Peter does exactly that. The voice came to him and said, What God has made clean, do not call common. Anyone ever call you pretty common? Some of you, I know not. <laughs> Can't imagine some people in this room being called common. But most of us probably are pretty common. 
You know, I mean, we're all special in God's eye, obviously. There's no doubt about that. But as far as other people go, most of us don't have a whole lot that makes us stand out from everybody else. Jesus knew this. He knew that because of history and other things, that there were going to be Jewish people, even Jewish believers, who were very hesitant to welcome Gentiles into the fold. One of the fears is this, is that when, if, if something like that happened, then the, then the Jews would be reduced maybe to second-class citizens in the kingdom. They would no longer be the central focus of everything. But we understand this, and this is from the Bible, that in the church of Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles have equal standing. Neither is superior or inferior to the either to the other. So I think I've said already, you know, Peter sees this vision three times. In the Bible, you know, when you see repetition like this, it's emphasizing the importance and absolute certainty of what's being revealed. In his death and resurrection, Jesus paid the full price, an infinitely valuable price, for every single believer, regardless of whether they were Jew or Gentile. Not more for some and less for others based upon their own personal righteousness, of which none of us actually has any apart from him. We look at our own hearts. And we would like to say that all that I do, I always do to the greatness and the goodness and the glory of God. But the fact of the matter is we are all seekers of self. And end is coming to that. But it's not yet here. In the new heavens and the new earth and God's eternal kingdom, those things will be gone.
one of the things that we need to glean from this is this, is you and I need to be very welcoming to anybody and everyone that wants to enter into the gates. If you're much like me, I would imagine there are particular people in your life that you would love to see come to faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons is you can almost see Christ in them already. They're good and they're nice and they're wonderful people compared to lots of other people. remind us of some things this morning and one of those is this is every single person who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is an extremely unbelievably special person what I'm telling you is if you are one of those people then you are unbelievably special in the eyes of God you may not feel special when it comes to other people. Maybe other people tend to look down at you or they find great faults in you and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what I'm telling you is this. Is that when God looks at you, he smiles. Because you are his. What God has made clean, do not call common. You are, maybe in the eyes, your own eyes and the eyes of other people, very, very, just plain old common. But what I'm telling you is in the eyes of God, you are everything but common. You are special. You occupy a place in the family of God that could not be filled by anyone else. It's a place that God set for you. It's a place that God made for you. It's a place that God brought you to. It's a place where God holds you to. Because he loves you with an abiding love that you can't even begin to lay hold of. People are looking desperately for all kinds of things in this world. Trying to find fulfillment in material possessions or in relationships they have with other people, etc., etc., etc. But we understand that there's only one place of comfort. There's only one place of peace. There's only one place of indescribable joy. That's in the arms of Christ. <laughs> we have a runaway down here, do we? <laughs> so let me just tell you this. You may feel like you're very, very common, not important, insignificant. But that is not at all how God sees you. As a matter of fact, he sees you exactly the opposite of that. You are significant. 
what Christ has done for you establishes that without a doubt. Your salvation didn't cost you one thing, but it cost God a whole bunch. No one in Christ's kingdom is common. Everyone in Christ's kingdom is extremely special. What I'm telling you is you are so important to the kingdom of God, if you were taken out of it today, the church would be changed eternally as a result of it. It would not be the same. It would never be the same if you were gone from the picture. Because the place you occupy is the one that God has placed you in. It's the one that he created for you. It's the one that he created you into. It has been his plan for you all through time. All Christians stand on equal ground before the throne of Christ. There are no greaters and there are no lessers. There are no second-class citizens in Christ's kingdom. Someone once said to me this, and let me tell you, I cringed when I heard it. <laughs> a dear friend, a dear, 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 very dear and loving and kind and sweet and wonderful sister in Christ said this one time. She said, I think pastors are, are like conduits to God. I hope that's not what you think. You know, we have a way, we have a tendency to, to elevate people that hold positions like I do and like Mike's getting ready to. But you need to understand, we're just like you are. There's really no difference between me and you. I struggle with the same things that you do. One of the things I love about this church is this church lets Keith be Keith. You need to understand there are a lot of churches that don't let their pastor be the person they are. Because they have expectations. They have standards that that person's supposed to meet. And if they don't meet those standards, then they're gone. And one of the things I love about you guys is you're so human and you let me be human too. You don't see me this super saint. I mean, God brings us together in bodies like this for a lot of reasons, and one of those is so that we have one another to lean upon, and that's true for me just as it is you. That we're not trying to go through this world all by our lonesome. 
And we have dear brothers and sisters around us that love us, that care for us, that we love and we care for too. That we are in this together. And we do not let worldly distinctions separate us. There are people in this room that are pretty well off, and there are people in this room that hardly have two nickels to rub together. That everyone in this room knows the other people in this room love them and care for them, and they want the best for them. This is what the church is all about. The church doesn't need you. We need the church. Imagine what it would be like to really be all alone in this world the way that it is. It's not a loving and kind place, not an encouraging place, not a place that builds people up and strengthens people. But how wise our God and Father is. We don't have to stand alone. But we do have to stand together. Cornelius, when Peter comes, he says, now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. I hope there's some sense of that that goes on on Sunday mornings. And not what I'm saying here is I hope that you're not here because you want to hear what Keith has to say. I hope you're here because you want to hear what the Lord has to say to you. I don't know about you, but I desperately need Sunday mornings. I mean, I just do. For a lot of reasons, and one of those is it's Sunday morning that helps me get through the rest of the week. Understand that there's a sense in which Sunday morning is a time of preparation for what lies ahead of us immediately. And one of the things that we should be doing as we're going about this, this the next week is asking a question, how can I take what I learned on Sunday and apply it to where I am right now? Let me just say this to you. There may be some people in your life You honestly don't really care if they become believers or not. Matter of fact, maybe there are a few people that you would just assume they not. Because they've done some really bad things to you, and you want them to pay the piper. You don't want them to have one of those coming to Jesus moments. 
don't be that way. Maybe you had some really, really bad things done to you in your lifetime. There really is no excuse for it and that sort of thing. But the church is the place, first and foremost, of forgiveness. For everyone who comes. I hope, I want, I want more than anything else what goes on here on Sunday morning to to be a joyous celebration of salvation in Christ but at the same time this is a time of preparation for the week that lies ahead and that in realistic ways we would take what we've talked about and apply them so what is your week going to look like between where we are now and where, when you're sitting where you are next Sunday. What's going to happen between now and then? Will you be honestly able to say when you come here this morning that you've, you've taken what you've learned and applied it? and just put it back on the back shelf shoved it back into the memory box way back in the back you know we're going through a transition here at this point you know Mike is becoming more and more center stage and Keith is falling more and more into the background which I'm fine with. I'm tired. (laughs) Years and years and years of ministry is very tiring. But I want Mike to know that I'm here for you, brother. I am your biggest fan, and I will do whatever I can to help you and Barb get ready for what's coming. And I'll say the same thing for Lori. He's preaching next Sunday. And I, for one, am going to be anxiously awaiting to hear what you have to say. It really is wonderful to be a member, to be a part of this congregation. It just really is. You know, we're not very big and, and that sort of thing. And today people are looking at big. You know, big it means successful in the world and, you know, that sort of thing. But I know this, that the people in this room love each other very deeply and very dearly. How do I know that? Because I know that's how you feel about me and about our family. I love to have Lindsay and Justin and the kids come. That's a real treat and for Lori and I, it always is. They love this church. They're not here that often. Do they love you guys? 
Lindsay's still a member here. She has been for all of these years, and she doesn't want to change her membership because this is her church. Because of you. Because you are part of it.